the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David arrives at the battle camp and hearing Goliath's challenge, he can't believe the cowardice of God's people. So he speaks up and the king hears about it. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 28. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17. Well, when we finished verse 10 of chapter 17, we left Saul in a precarious situation. He has no intention of letting single combat determine who rules over who, but he also can't ignore Goliath's challenge. So he's kind of in a pickle. And thus, like the rest of his soldiers, his heart is troubled. Well, into this situation steps a young man whom the Lord is with, and therefore a man who has nothing to fear. And so with a simple mindset and a courageous heart, David puts himself forward as the man who will represent Israel against the giant. But you know, a non-soldier making a fuss on the front lines isn't going to go unnoticed. I mean, David's not wearing armor. He doesn't fit in at all. And so David's brothers don't just hear about David being there, but they hear about him asking these questions, and they're like, oh, great, little brother's here, and he's creating a ruckus. And so verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. So he, he arrives onto the scene. He hears that David's asking for him. He hears David's making a scene. And he arrives here as David's asking us, is this for real? No, none of y'all going to fight him? And Eliab's anger was kindled. The word there means his nose became red hot. He, his nostrils started flaring. He was livid. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you are come down that you might see the battle. The word there, naughtiness, means the evil, the moral badness of your heart. I know your pride. The word there means to have an inflated view of yourself. What are you doing down here? And you gotta love this. If you've ever had a brother, or if you've been the older brother like me, you said stuff like this. You know, there you see your little brother doing something. You're like, what are you doing, man? And you ask a question, you don't even give him time to answer. You just tell him you already know the answer, right? What are you doing down here? You know, what, what, what's going on with this sheep? Ah, I don't even want to hear your stupid answer. You know, I know why you're here. Because of the inflated view you have of yourself. Just because you've killed a lion and a bear, you think you're hot stuff. I know the moral badness of your heart. 
You're just here to see the battle. It's not a game, David. You don't understand. You know, Eliab assumes he knows what's in David's heart and he answers his own question, doesn't even give his brother a chance to answer. And while people do speak out of the abundance of their heart, the problem is, as we're listening, our hearts are deceitful and wicked too, which means our understanding of what we hear can be woefully incorrect. Therefore, assuming what motivates someone and condemning them based on my assumption of such is sin. It's always wrong. The Bible says that God is the only one who knows what's going on in here. I don't even know my own heart. Follow your heart is dumb. It's just not a good way to do life. And you hear people say it all the time. Just follow your heart, man. No, don't, please. Please, that's the way that leads to bad stuff. Because you don't even know your heart. You say, oh, I've searched. I know my heart. No, that's why David said, Lord, you search my heart. See if there's any way wicked in me. I've looked, I haven't found any, but I need you to search it because I'm going to miss stuff. The heart's deceitful above all things, the Bible says. Think about the trickiest thing or person you've met. Heart's worst. You know, I think it was someone called the heart, the traitor within. So assuming what motivates someone and condemning them based on your assumption is sin. It's wrong. It's an unbiblical way to think and communicate. The Bible says love doesn't even assume the worst. It says love believes the best. One of the biggest problems in marriage or premarital relationships is poor communication. It's probably one of the number one things that people come to me about and say, Pastor Will, we're struggling with our communication, you know, or how can we have better communication? Well, accusations based on assumptions are one of the most common methods of poor communication. If you want to improve your communication in your relationship, whether you're married, not married, eliminate this unbiblical method from your toolbox. (laughs) I can't tell you how many fights would have been avoided if I had just assumed the best about my wife and not the worst. We have a story we tell. There was a time when we were, it's the first year we were married and, and we were fighting about something. I don't even remember. And Bev's cooking dinner or whatever. And, you know, she gives me my plate and we were in this little one bedroom apartment. So there's not really anywhere to go. So, I mean, you can't get away from the person you're fighting with. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm waiting for her to come sit with me. And we're going to eat dinner together. We're all mad at each other and whatever. And all of a sudden, these two pieces of toast come flying at my head. And I I said to her, and I said, and now why are you throwing toast at me? And she just looked at me like I had four heads. Like, why would you say something like that? And I'm looking at the toast on the floor. I'm like, well, obviously, toast doesn't fly on its own. Well, we had a very overacted toaster. Seriously. And and commonly, the toast would just fly out. And it just so happened right at that moment, the toast for dinner flew out and hit me in the head. So... I said some very not nice things because I assumed the worst that my wife was the type of person that would throw toast at me. It's a silly example. But my point is, we imagine much more sinister things from our spouse, you know, from our friends. Some of the things I've seen believers say to one another when they don't know the facts They just assume they know what's going on. That's why the Bible tells us to be slow to speak and slow to wrath and quick to listen because you need to hear the other person out. 
not assume you know what's really going on. Verse 29, it says here, and David said, what have I now done? I love that because that's the little brother response, right? What did I do this time? What is it now? And I love, he says, is there not a cause? This was not the first time David's motivations, which they couldn't know, had been shamed when his actions, which they could see and know, weren't wrong. He had done nothing wrong, but they assumed a motivation was wrong, and therefore his right was wrong. And so David says, is there not a cause, which means, Hebrew it means, am I not allowed to talk to people? (laughs) Am I not allowed to converse? It's not like David wasn't used to conversing with officers at court. I mean, David had probably knew some of these people. He had just as much right to discuss what was going on as any soldier in Saul's army. Now, having explained his innocence, David continues asking people if what he's heard was true. Is it really true that the king is doing this? Verse 30, and he turned from him, not his brother, but to the guy he was talking to, toward another and spoke after the same manner. Uh, The word manner there is the same word for cause in verse 29. He's just continuing to talk to people. Did Saul really promise a king's ransom and no one's answering the call? Is this really true? And every single person he talks to says, yeah, it's the case, man. And the people answered again after the former former manner, verse 31. And when the words were heard which David spoke, as they... David's talking courageously. He's like, no one wants to fight this guy. I mean, you get no taxes for the rest of your life. I've met his daughter. Who knows? You know, Michael, I mean, she doesn't sound like a winner. Every time I see her in scripture, it's not good. However, maybe David's too young to know that yet. Maybe she was nicer when she was younger. But either way, the point is, all David could see is like, this is a no-brainer decision. And yet everyone else is going, David, you're crazy. And so eventually it becomes clear that David's the only person who's not fearful in this situation. And so a group of people notify Saul. And when the words were heard which David spoke, they rehearsed them. They reported them to Saul. And so Saul sent for him. That's a bit too polite. The word literally means Saul seized him. Saul, in a sense, politely had him arrested. You see, while Saul doesn't question David's motives. He does think the young man is being foolish and causing trouble. And yet, I love that David is kind of arrested, but he doesn't get the hint. Because look at verse 32. So he gets to Saul's tent or wherever Saul is, and David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. I got this. The whole reason Saul brought him here is to shut him up. David, David, enough, <laughs> you know, you're a kid. You don't understand what's going on here, all right? We, we, the adults have this in hand. But David says, let no man's heart fail. Literally, no, let no man's courage fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David was not so naive as to not understand the danger in front of him. It's simply that he saw a greater danger than Goliath, and it was the failing courage of Israel's army. That was the greater danger here. And he says, we don't have to go there, Saul. We don't have to do this day after day. I'll go out and deal with this guy, and then problem solved. The dictionary defines courage as the ability to do something that frightens you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in the face of fear. 
And whatever courage the Israeli soldiers had on their way to this battle was slowly ebbing away. Every day, Goliath made his challenge, and no one answered. You see, to David, Goliath's defeat is always a foregone conclusion. But in his mind, if no one stepped up to do the deed soon, the Philistines would rout an already defeated Israeli army. And to be honest, I don't think David cared who toppled Goliath. I don't think he's clamoring to be that person. I do believe he would have the same confidence whoever Saul sent out there to fight the giant. But in all David's conversations, he didn't find a single person who believed they could do that. And so David volunteers. Now, he loves Saul's response. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go and fight against this Philistine. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. In other words, David, I didn't bring you here to see if you were willing to volunteer. I brought you here to talk some sense into you. And you know, if you take the Lord out of the equation, Saul does make a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you take the Lord out of the equation and you measure things out, Saul makes sense. David is young and untrained in battle. Goliath has been trained for this very moment since he was young. And so when David realizes the king is talking apples and he's talking oranges, he decides to explain his perspective. Look at verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with you. What an interesting conversation here. Saul says, you can't do this. And then afterwards, he's like, no, you got this, man. (laughs) You got this all figured out. What happens here that changes Saul's mind? Well, David gives us perspective, a different perspective, a right perspective. David says to him, listen, I know everything you're saying, Saul. I get that. But let me tell you something you don't know. He says, your servant kept his father's sheep. That's my job. I'm not a soldier. I'm a shepherd. But there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, these are two separate occurrences. It's not like a lion and a bear got together and said, let's gang up on David. That's not what he's saying here, all right? That would never happen. But David talks about them like they're one experience because in his mind, they were the same experience because it went the same way. Lion, bear, Godzilla, it doesn't matter to me. They took my lamb and my job as a shepherd to protect the flock. So I did. So I did. And I love David's storytelling here. He says, he took him, and so I went out after him. I chased him down. He's talking about the lion here, and I smote him. I, I chased him down, and I struck him down, probably with his shepherd staff. I chased him down. He had the lamb in his mouth, and I whacked him upside the head, knocked him out. I took the lamb out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, when he should have stayed down, Simba, when he got up, the light got back up against me. He says, I caught him by the beard and I smote him and I slew him. I wrestled his face to the ground. Next time I hit him, I made sure he didn't get up again. Now, lest that sound fable-like, 
If you read history, history is filled with experiences where Arab shepherds and stuff had to go out and do stuff like this. So I'm not saying that David's not unique and that he took on a lion with a staff and whatever else he had. I'm not saying that. However, he's not the only person who's ever done this. These were common predators for shepherds in that region. The bears have been hunted down so much they don't exist in that region anymore. Neither do the lions. But these were things that were normal dangers for these shepherds. They had to know how to handle them and they had to be prepared to go out and do so. Because if they didn't, like Jacob talks about, he goes, if anything stole something from the flock, you had to pay for it. And so David explains, I killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David's heart gushes with courage because of the basis of his confidence. When David calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, it's not an insult. It's almost like he's saying to Saul, you're right. There is no comparison between me and Goliath. He doesn't stand a chance. There is no comparison. David is in covenant with Almighty God, the one who promised he would never leave Israel, he would never forsake Israel, and he would fight all their battles and give them victory over their enemies. He's like, he is uncircumcised. He is not in covenant with God. I am. And therefore, he does not stand a chance. Yes, he may be a soldier from his youth, and I may not be a trained soldier, but I'm in covenant with the Lord. And that counts way greater than any of his training. Way greater. He doesn't stand a chance. So the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David's heart gushes with courage also because of God's past faithfulness. David wasn't a match for a lion or a bear. But as the Lord helped him do his job as a shepherd, the Lord will help him do his job as Saul's servant. Let me do this for you, Saul. God's with me. He'll help me do this. And David's speech is so convincing that Saul gives him the go-ahead. That's only possible if Saul's own heart is stirred to courage. And how could you not be stirred to courage by David's words? They're the truth. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I've had a situation come into my life and I'm just overwhelmed, like overwhelmed. And David, it's not that he didn't experience those times too. There are times when David was greatly overwhelmed. But what did the psalmist sing? My heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock, the rock that is higher than I. David's on that rock right now. He's on that rock. He is looking out going, yeah, it's ugly if you're looking at it from down there. But I'm, I'm here. And here, it's smooth skies. And so, it's normal to feel overwhelmed at first. But we have to remind ourselves of the real facts. And that nothing is a match for God. If he is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Well, Saul attempts to equip David for the fight, verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, which is going to be large. David's not a big guy yet. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And not only are these probably oversized for David, but David, he's not a soldier, so he's not used to using these things. So David girded his sword upon his armor, and the, and the Bible says he essayed to go. It means he tried to, but he wasn't able. It mean, essay means to try to do something, but you just can't because it's not a good fit. 
And so David essayed to go, for he had not proved it. He had never used this stuff before, not armor or weapons like this. And so David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And so David took them off of him. Saul had strengthened himself by doing things like this, doing things his own way for years. It was, it's just become part of his life now. Forget about seeking the Lord or thinking God can do his own thing. And so it makes sense he'd prep David to meet Goliath with the best tools. But David wasn't going to go out there to match Goliath's strength for strength, right? I mean, that's not why he's going out there. So why bring any of that armor? He's going out there with the Lord as his armor. And so in verse 40, we see David go out without any of this stuff. It says he took his staff, the weapon he was used to, a shepherd's staff, probably what he killed the lion and the bear with. It says he came out with his shepherd's staff, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a, a scrip. It just means a small container or pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So here comes David out. He's got his shepherd's staff, the crook, and then he's got, he's got a sling in his hand. I mean, that's how he's going out. And he's walking out to the middle of the battlefield where Goliath's doing his spiel. And so the Philistine, verse 41, Goliath came on and he drew near to David. So he sees someone coming out, but he doesn't know it's David. He doesn't think it's a shepherd or anything. So he comes near. He says, oh, they're finally going to send out a challenger. And so he comes out and it says the man that bare the shield went before him. So his shield bearer is out in front of him walking with the shield. I mean, he's ready for a full-on contest here. But when the Philistine looked about, the word there means to consider, to, to gaze at. He gets a better look at David. When he starts kind of studying him, it says that he disdained him. The word there means to, not just that you think something is worthless or beneath your consideration or deserving of your scorn, but it's some way that you show that. So, I mean, I don't know how he did that. I mean, we know he's going to insult David in a second, but you know, I don't know if he's looking at David, all of a sudden his face is like, this is a joke. And that's kind of what he says here. He's like, in verse 42, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he's but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. In other words, he's a red-haired pretty boy. He sees David. He's a, this, what's this red-haired pretty boy coming out fighting me? Where's the guy in the armor? Where's the guy with a sword? And so he says unto David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because that's the preferred method when you're trying to chase off a wild animal. You don't go after them with a sword or something like that. I know they like to do that in battles that the, you know, people, you know, stab animals. It's always, it's always stabbed animals. The animal's like this dumb animal just jumps and the guy's like, Ugh. that's not how you, I mean, that's not how animals fight. They're scrappy. And a sword's not going to help you out in that because the animal will take a cut as long as you can get to your jugular. And so you tended to, to have more bludgeoning type weapons against wild beasts and, and creatures like that. And the shepherd, even when a shepherd was out, he had his crook for the sheep, but then he had a, in a rod he'd go out, go out with too. And it was to either throw or, you know, throw at the wolf or to beat him off. And that's the idea. You crack a rib or whatever, and then they're done. So he says, am I a dog? And, and that's a, a phrase that was used back then, uh, basically like the, the lowest of the low, you know, person of low status. So you, am I, no, am I a nobody here that you're going to come out and treat me like an animal? You know, come out with, against me like with sticks? And then Goliath Curse David by his gods. The word there means to invoke divine harm. He, he said, Mike, you know what? Insulting me like this, I, before we even fight, my God, just strike you dead right here with lightning or something. You've angered my gods by this type of insult. 
Can I encourage you something? I hear a lot of Christians acting like Goliath today. Don't be like Goliath. You've angered my God by wronging me. I'm his kid. I, I deserve to be treated better. Jesus told us that the world would hate us and mistreat us. And Jesus set an example of how we're to respond when that happens. So let's do that instead of returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And if you're going to disobey the Lord's command to do that, then please, please, please don't use the Lord's righteous anger as your excuse. God does not get insulted because someone mistreated you. The Lord is just and he will deal with it in his own way. But the Lord's desire is to show mercy, to forgive them just as he forgave you. And so if putting you through a few insults so people can see Jesus is something that will bring that person to him, the Lord is more than happy to throw you in front of the insults. He's okay with that. And we have to learn to trust him with that. Verse 44, the Philistine said unto him, after he insults him and curses him by his gods, he says, come to me and I will give your flesh unto the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But David was like, I'm not ready to come. You spoke, I get to talk too. So then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.